Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. A lot going on involving the NCAA, both on and off the field. And uh, certainly whenever anything involving the law comes about, we bring on our expert. Uh, she's the founder of Ruling Sports, has a tremendous podcast that we'll get her to tell you about. Uh, you can check her out on Twitter at Ruling Sports. Alicia Jessup. Alicia, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we got a lot of different things to go over. I want to go over one thing first before we get to the Charlie Baker stuff. It looks like the lawsuit was dropped by the Brander Group against EA Sports, so it looks like we're going to get our college football 2024 game from EA. Is that correct? Well, maybe, because we still have to broker the deals with the college athletes to appear in it, and so Charlie Baker in his announcement earlier this week that he sent via a letter allowing colleges to enter into NIL deals with their respective athletes could foreseeably pave the way for that. So video game fans, you might have something to look forward to. So yeah, I think it was Monday when the story came out from Charlie Baker and there were a lot of words and there was a lot of things and everybody kept saying this is huge for the NCAA. So kind of break it down for us. What did Charlie Baker come out with as part of this announcement on Monday? Right, and there were a lot of words for a Monday. It came out before I had my coffee, so I had to pause and then read it. So on the one hand, it's a watershed moment because, as I just referenced, one thing that's included in this pretty extensive letter is a note from Charlie that NCAA athletics departments can now enter into NIL deals with their respective college athletes. To me, this is the biggest point of the entire letter, because what that foreseeably does is not only open the door to, like we just mentioned, the reemergence of NCAA video games, but it could also lead to a situation where a very generous athletics director or an athletics director who wants greater competitive ability says, you know what, I'm going to cut my college athletes into the revenue sharing with my broadcast partner. You have a conference like the Big Ten that recently negotiated a multi-billion dollar TV deal. And so with this rule change, or you know, the, the rule still needs to be changed, but assuming what Charlie said is going to happen, um, with this, you hypothetically could have Big Ten members, for instance, say, unlike other conferences, we're going to share broadcast revenue with our college athletes under this new opportunity allowing us to share NIL. But the other thing that I think got a lot of traction in the press, but I don't think people should get too excited about is there was this note that there is going to be a creation of a new Division One subdivision where if you want to be a member of this subdivision, you have to commit to awarding $30,000 per year to be held in a trust for at least 50% of the college athletes and in compliance with Title IX. The reason why I'm less excited about this is there's a lot that needs to be done logistically for that to happen. So, for instance, what's the new subdivision? Who's going to lead the subdivision? Who's going to opt into it? Who's going to go through the cumbersome process of amending the NCAA bylaws or creating a new set of bylaws? So I think that one's further down. So I think the story to watch is what AD becomes the first to broker an NIL deal with their respective college athletes. 
Yeah, I think that that part you mentioned about the subdivisions, I think that caused people to run wild because we already kind of see a difference as it is. There's the Power Five and then there's the Group of Five. And the Power Five has all the NIL money and they have all the uh, the resources and everything. And then there's the Group of Five that there's some teams that have the resources, but they're never going to be able to keep up. And so when we see a subdivision, we're like, oh boy, is this going to further separate all the schools? <laughs> right, right. And I, I think there's a lot of questions that remain where... Me, if you want to be skeptical here, to your point earlier, it's a really long letter, but like, what does it really say? Like, what what actually is changing as a result of this letter? And the NIL thing, the big story here, that is a massive change. And it could have been precipitated by the video game, but I'm partially, Matt, wondering if Charlie Baker realizes how big of a change that is because. You've had, at least in the media, athletics directors and some coaches chomping at the bit saying, we want to share broadcast revenue with college athletes. So hypothetically, under what Charlie issued this week, you could have a situation where an athletics department starts cutting million-dollar deals with athletes pulling funds from their broadcasting agreements. Uh, How many schools, if we did do this subdivision thing, how many schools do you think could afford that trust fund requirement in order to do it, do you think? Yeah, that, that, that's hard to pull from my head. The, the reason why it's hard is twofold. Um, one, at least publicly, we don't have really solid financial data from athletics departments. So Title IX requires athletics departments to submit a report annually to the Department of Education. And so through that data, we get a glimpse under the hood of what's going on financially with these departments. But the problem is, is Title IX and the Department of Education don't require a standardized reporting mechanism. So unlike, say, um, American Express or Visa or Disney reporting to their shareholders and through that reporting, they have to follow generally accepted accounting principles, there's not a similar accounting standard put on athletics departments. So I've been covering this space for over a decade, and I've noticed a trend where about five years ago, schools who were submitting these reports and the reports were showing positive net incomes in the tens of millions of dollars, they suddenly are submitting these reports and it's showing that they're not earning any positive net income, i.e. they're breaking even, or in some instances, they are incurring a loss. So it's hard for me justifiably to say, oh, yes, Matt, it's 10 schools. I think you can assume, though, that the schools that are members of the Power Five Conference, and I guess at this point it's the Power Four, since uh, rest in peace, Pac-12, that are parties to these nine or ten figure broadcast agreements, you'd be within well reason to assume that they can put 30 grand away for half of their college athletes. So what's the timeline, you think, obviously with the first part, the NIL part of this Charlie Baker announcement, what's the next step and how far before or how long before we actually think this might actually be instituted? Well, that, that's going to be fun because if I am a rebel coach, if I'm someone like, um, you know, Al Davis and Jerry Jones in the NFL back in the 90s and I want to gain a competitive advantage, I'm reading this letter from Charlie Baker and I'm saying, okay, my leader just told me I can hit the running line and go. And I also know that the NCAA's party to a lot of antitrust lawsuits. There were two more filed today, in fact, against the association. And so I'm rolling the dice and I'm trying my luck. So I I think you're going to see some bullish coaches 
and some bullish athletics directors. We're recruiting season right now. You know, Deion Sanders just got a five-star recruit for Colorado today. If I'm someone like Deion Sanders or Rick George, who's the AD at Colorado, I'm saying let's go. Like, let's make the announcement today that we are going to cut college athletes into NIL deals at Colorado, and here's one that we have secured. So I think it will come, frankly, Matt, before the conclusion of this calendar year. You're going to see a bullish leader take advantage of this opportunity. By the way, what I know you mentioned the Pac-12. What have you made of the lawsuits there that the two teams that are remaining are, are seemingly doing well in the in the courts right now, it feels like? They, they, they should, right? Because they, those schools, they, they kind of got a bump deal, and it's, it's really unfortunate because there's great people at both of those institutions. Um, I think thus far the courts have probably made the right decisions there. Uh, talking with Alicia Jessup, and, and certainly check out her podcast, Ruling Sports, the podcast uh, at Ruling Sports on Twitter. You mentioned the Kessler uh, lawsuit that has been done. Uh, kind of catch people up and explain what's what's involved with this lawsuit. Sure. So today is the first night of Hanukkah. You know, we're inching close to Christmas. If there's someone who's not on the holiday card list of the NCAA, it's Jeffrey Kessler, because at every turn, Jeffrey Kessler is there to file another lawsuit against the association. So uh, some people might have thought that when Charlie Baker made the announcement he did earlier this week that it was going to calm the lawyers and it was going to quell the litigation. So uh, let me back up one step. There is a massive piece of litigation working its way through the court system. It's set for trial in January 2025, it is the House versus NCAA case. This case was filed by a number of then-current college athletes. Some are still playing, one of which is Sedona Prince, um, who also is a party to this lawsuit filed today. These people in the House case, they said that they didn't get to take advantage of NIL, so the NCAA was in violation by not allowing NIL, and thus they should be back paid for the lost income that they could have been awarded had they been able to secure NIL. And not only that, but they also want access to the TV revenue. So there's some projections that if the NCAA loses the House case, they are facing a $4.2 billion damages amount. That would rock college sports. So some people thought that Charlie Baker's announcement on Monday was an attempt to kind of like quell or quash the impact of that lawsuit, and also to maybe extend an olive branch to federal um, legislators from whom he and the association are seeking federal antitrust exemptions. So then fast forward, you know, not even three days later, and you have litigator Jeff Kessler filing today's suit in the Northern District of California where this all goes down. There's three named plaintiffs. Again, Sedona Prince is one of them, a Duke football player, and then a soccer player from Stanford University. And this case takes it one step further, where now what they're saying is not allowing pay for play, so not just NIL, but not allowing pay for play violates federal antitrust law. So if this lawsuit goes the distance, if the plaintiffs are successful, what you're going to end up with is essentially a professional model of college sports where colleges have to pay their college athletes a salary or some sort of income to compete in college athletics. Uh, let's wrap up here. Do you laugh when you see, obviously, the last couple of weeks we've seen James Madison said they were going to sue the NCAA at one point to try and get JMU into a bowl game. And, of course, the, the people down in Florida want to sue to get Florida State into the playoff. 
Do, would any of these things ever win? Like, or would this just be an annoyance and, and a lot of money that the taxpayers are paying? You know, it, it depends the judge you get in front of, frankly. So I, I think the point here, though, is one thing that's harming the NCAA is arbitrariness with the James Madison instance. Um, now, the college football playoff is separate from the NCAA, but. You, you have an undefeated team. So what is the metric by which we're determining who goes in and who is sitting out of the the, the playoffs? So I, I think maybe there are some teeth to both of those claims, but it also just shows you the unique demand that college sports has and the vastness of its marketplace that people are willing to fund these lawsuits. Uh, before we let you go, Alicia, tell everybody about your podcast because the guests that you have on there are absolutely tremendous. Oh, thank you so much. So we are a weekly podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. And what we're trying to do is give people stories um, about beyond the game. So we've had Layla Ali talking about how her father, Muhammad Ali, didn't want her to box and how she said no to the greatest of all time and pursued her dream. Most recently, we've had a co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils talk about how he took $2,000 from his bar mitzvah and turned it into a pathway to becoming a billionaire. So what we're trying to do is encourage people to live their lives the best that they can and giving them the tools to help them do that. And you can download the podcast in normal places, Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff? Yep, and it's called Ruling Sports, and it's free. Excellent. Alicia, thank you so much for giving us some time, and we will catch up again with you soon when we need you to interpret what's going on. Awesome. Thanks, Matt.